Welcome to another episode of the Golders Podcast. We hope everybody enjoyed episode 58 with Richard Chaplow. Now, here's a snippet of what to expect today. The thing about coaching, right? You have to be an example. You have to walk the walk as well. You can't be coached. You've got to be coached as well. I'm coached. I've got multiple coaches in my life. It's the power of being coached. Coach, but be coached. But also throw yourself into um, living by that way of life as well. We're excited to welcome Stevie Kidd onto the podcast today. Stevie is a best-selling author, mindset coach, and entrepreneur. He's worked with several high-profile businesses, sporting figures and head coaches, and more to help shift the mindsets, allowing them to achieve more than even they may have felt was possible. Along with that, Stevie has completed some of the world's most grueling endurance events, including the Everest Marathon, the Great Wall of China Marathon, the ascent of Mount Kilimanjaro, and the Kilimanjaro Marathon, and much more. Stevie now plans on running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Enjoy. So we always ask the same question of every guest. To us, Goldust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people for the greater good. What does Goldust mean to you, Stevie? You know, sometimes you remember things in your life and you remember them for a reason. And it was 2006 or 2007, and I was invited to a conference in Glasgow. And it was a bank, it was a corporate bank that invited me there. And I went to the conference and I walked in, the room was about a thousand people. And uh, I, I was taken to the table and I never knew anybody. I never knew anybody at the table, apart from one gentleman. And uh, his name was Omar. And he stood up to introduce me. And when he introduced me, he said, I seen him standing up, looking at everything, and with a side just blown. And I thought, because people were asking, who's this guy? And he just said, this guy is a guy who turns metal to gold. And there's no anything else that has to be said. Now, I had to come back home and research, what does that mean? And then I realised... He's just told people I'm the magic man. And that's gold dust for me. And it's stuck with me ever since. That's what I do. So with that being said, Stevie, in simple terms, if you had to explain what you do, how would you describe it? I take people and businesses by understanding where they came from to really understanding where they're at, but then getting more of an understanding of where they want to be. But then with this sprinkle of magic dust, been able to get people to see beyond what they can see. And I've got the ability to take them there. It's that simple. So what is it that you do, Stevie, for them to see that goldest? Self-discover. Give yourself permission to allow yourself to discover what their absolute potential is. And it's a journey. And it's a journey that people take. And once I get that rapport, honesty, and trust with people, the most important part is when people give themselves permission 
to allow themselves to see what the possibilities are. But it's through trust, honesty and respect right at the beginning, which is what we build up. Because once they trust me, and they never look back, they change the psychology of looking forward rather than looking backwards because they're grounded and they absolutely know who they are. But it's the whole concept of what we're changing is the strategy, the story, but we're putting them into the state of certainty. And in that state is when we're actually fixating on where we're going and we map it all out. It's an interesting interesting concept you speak about. And we'll probably delve in a little bit deeper around you developing, how do you develop the trust? There's something to just want to plant a seed in there. Because uh, that obviously is one of the, that's one of the foundations in all relationships is trust. So we'll, we'll delve a little bit deeper shortly. But what is it that actually drives you to get out of bed every day to help people achieve these dreams, ambitions and, and outcomes? My obsession with people. It's something I thought about when I wrote my books and I've realised my whole life I have been completely obsessed with people. And again, one of the pinnacle moments where you go back in your life and say, but where did it start? You weren't born being obsessed with people. Something must have happened and you must have had an experience that becomes, how can you be obsessed for nearly 43 years by saying a word, a sentence, a paragraph, or a story to another human being to create this transformational change. And it actually started with people who lost something or lost their way and just paying attention at a young age that people didn't know how to rise again or go again. And it was actually a car manufacturing plant just actually five minutes from where my office is based. And they closed it and it employed 8,500 people and I had nine jobs between the ages of 12 and 16. And I realized that I was meeting some people at the age of 12. And the last time I had met them, I was seven. But they still hadn't got another job. They still hadn't found that next positive destination. And do you know the most heart-wrenching thing that really destroyed me? I remember speaking to all the entrepreneurs that I would work for. And I would say, can I ask you a question? Because I'm confused as a youngster. And they'd say, yep. I said, why are they telling the same story? They're telling the same story that I was, when I met them five years ago. And it's on repeat, repeat, repeat. So I started playing with it. And they started laughing. And I said to them, the entrepreneurs, has your story changed? And they said, because entrepreneurs seem to always be challenging reality and future thinking, so their story always evolves, which led to that they're living a life with purpose. But I said to them, well, I'm going to have a wee bit of fun and test this. And what I would do is I would build rapport, trust, honesty, respect with the people that I would interact with. But then I would accept this acceptance of saying to them, I hear what you're saying. I can see what you're saying. Because what I was starting to really pay attention to, and I spoke to Dr. Richard Bandler about this, I used to pay attention to how people use language and what context. Are they using language where they're driven by feelings? Are they driven by what they see? Are they driven by what they hear? So that's very important because when, when you're talking to another human being, you have to mirror the language patterns to get that rapport and connection. 
But then I would say to people, I accept what I'm hearing where you're saying, but then I'd take them back to the past and ask them, can you tell me a time that everything was going fine and well? And then when I take them back to that energy field, I would then transport them into the future and say to them, with that energy, what do you see yourself doing in the future? And they would tell me. And then I would just ask them, what's the first step you would take then to head towards that journey? Because my job would then, as a youngster, and I mean a youngster at 12-year-old, was just at this game I played. Let's destroy that story because that story serving them no purpose. Effectively, what you do, Steve, is you're actually reverse engineering someone's future. That's basically what you're doing. And then you're taking the steps. So they see the end at the beginning. And then what you do, you help them on those little stages. Are you facilitating? Are you telling them what they need to be doing? Or is it oh, no. a process of facilitation? Oh, no, 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 no. no I, don't, I don't tell them what to do. I remember taking the first time I ever tried this and got away with it. I was, and this is a true story. The man was 52 year old and his name was Alan. And we were in a village and I had just finished working in a confectionery business and I was walking down the street and he was going to the, he was going for last orders and we were close to a cemetery. And as I was, it's a true story. And I was walking him down the road, I asked him to cross the road so that I was running parallel with the cemetery and I went to walk in the cemetery and I says come here a minute and he'd been telling me this story for a number of years about his life story and who he was but there was nothing about what he was going to do in the future and I took him into the graveyard and we went straight to the first gravestone and he says do you know that person and I said aye and he said who is it and I said it was him I said it was him and he says you what I says I just want you to imagine that for a minute. The story you've been telling me for five years, now we're at the end. Do you want to spend the rest of your life telling me the same story? That's all I want to know, and there's no other questions. And he just went into this daze. He went into this trance. And I said to him, maybe think about that as we walked into the pub and you have your last order at your last drink because it was gone down. It was high. always good doing it half an hour for the last pint. And I said to him, on the way back up the road, Find that first step of what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And do you know the thing is? I met him, and I met him again. And all of a sudden, I realised that a pattern had changed because the story that he was telling me for all the years, doesn't matter how small it was, it was recognising it wasn't the same story. And I've just built up a toolkit of realising what's the tools, the triggers and techniques that you can build up to change somebody's story. So my obsession with people, my obsession with asking people, are you living to your absolute potential? Or what are you supposed to be doing? So that's what I'm obsessed about. I'm obsessed about challenging people's stories. Stevie, you've talked about that side of it, what you do for other people and your obsession for other people. But personally, you've already completed many endurance events. What have you done so far and why do you do them? The first one I did was um, third hardest marathon in the world, which was the Great Wall of China Marathon. We then moved on to 
climb Kilimanjaro, but then after climbing Kilimanjaro, there was two other challenges I set myself. One is that I wanted to go up the mountain myself with just one guide. I wanted to be left in alone. I also wanted to come off and 24 hours later, I wanted to run the marathon. I then went to Disney to do four races in four days, all as non-runners. Then I went to Nepal to attempt to have this marathon, the World Everest Marathon. But by this time, I was doing half marathons every weekend and marathons every weekend across the country, all from non-runner. So why? There's a simple reason to that, and there's a simple explanation, and we don't get into too much detail. All these stories I told you about meeting people's stories. At that point in my life, I wanted to destroy my own story, my own identity. And the way to do that is to walk into the unknown, unknown, unknown. Marathon training's the unknown. China's the unknown. Doing the actual marathon's the unknown. And that's what you redesign. And that's what I did. Completely changed my blueprint by doing something that makes me extremely uncomfortable so that the uncomfortable becomes comfortable again. Then you make it uncomfortable again. Then you make it comfortable again. And you just keep evolving. So we're on a journey to do seven marathons in seven continents, finishing with the World Challenge Marathon, which is seven marathons in seven days in seven continents. And I'm going to do that with Doug White. That's penciled in to do that for 224, 225. So then it's a story of somebody that reinvented himself by getting involved in something that he actually wrote. I actually wrote a list. 10 of the top things that I detested in my life and running was number one. And I decided, well, that's the one thing that's going to make me uncomfortable. And I remember running to the shop the first day. Ryan says to me, my son, where are you going? And I said, I'm going for a run. I think I was back in the house in seven minutes. And he says, where did you go? I said, the shops. He says, that's at the end of the street. I says, that's a great starting point, isn't it? So reinvention, change identity. The thing about coaching, right, you have to be the example. You have to walk the walk as well. You can't be coached. You've got to be coached as well. I'm coached. I've got multiple coaches in my life. It's the power of being coached. Coach, but be coached. But also throw yourself into living by that way of life as well. The thing that you have, Steve, I mean, look, we, we can physically see you at the moment. Podcast, you don't get that. There's no physical presence. And unless people dig you up and have a look on the, the internet, you, I, I think it'd be a true uh, a first statement. You're not really designed for running physically. What the heck are you doing to be able to endure so much? I know you mentioned the unknown, 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 and like to explore a little bit more about that. It's, it's from a very young age realising that we're not developed to understand who we are or what we want. And we're not developed to understand even emotions. We're not developed to understand how our unconscious, subconscious and conscious mind functions. And I've just spent all my life, practically all my life, probably as far back as 1977, and really understanding to tap into conditioning and, and nurturing your heart and your mind. And it's what people don't do. We're not developed in the Western culture, as far as I know, to discover who we are or even understand our mind. I've just spent my life realizing that 
saying thank you very much education I'll take what you give me but I'm going to have my own school and my own school is going to be about mapping out my legacy and mapping out understanding who I am and understanding emotions and understanding what my absolute potential is at the same time it's not as easy as that I did that probably until my teens from the teens up to even the present moment I like modeling and I like mirroring so Dr. Richard Barnard in particular and Tony Robbins, John Laval, coaching be developed by these people who teach you more than you can you you could go through a lifetime not knowing. When you're shown how to use your neurology and how to train your brain, you're able to do these type of things. When you you mentioned for those that are not familiar with the term modeling and mirroring. What what specifically are you referring to? What I mean is my whole life, even in business, because what you have to remember is I'm an entrepreneur. So I've been building businesses and support businesses the majority of my life, but at the same time, I own my own companies. At the same time, the fastest way for you to achieve what you want to achieve is find somebody or companies who are doing what you what you want to do and model and mirror every aspect of what the, how they're doing it. But the secret is to then ask yourself what lies beyond that. I remember Dr. Banner saying that to me once. He said, you've been coming here more years than I can even go back and think. He says, and you keep coming back and you're relentless. He says, but you know who you are now, Stevie? He says, and you've got these role models you talk about that you model and mirror. And he says, you, you say I'm your role model. You say Sir Art Ferguson's your role model. You say your uncles are your role model. And he basically went and put his hand out and he says, so here's who you are. And then he went to the middle line and said, here's who your role models are. And he just looked at me, paused and said, see, from this day onwards, you're going from who you are way beyond us. And you start thinking beyond your frequency because that's where you belong. Changed my life, that. Change my life. You do, you, you actually run an event now called Reach Your Peak. What is Reach Your Peak? What is it about? And what do attendees or what should attendees expect from completing this event that you run? I think I said earlier on, right? And I think it's a valid point because it's a three week, how to answer that question is in three parts. The, the first one is, um, are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Ask that question a lot. So somebody asked me, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? The answer is yes. But it's taken me 30 years to design that Stevie Kid pathway. That's that's number one. Number two is me developing myself, especially around Richard, modeling everything of Richard and modeling him to find my own way in terms of what what pathway I'm going to design for a client or businesses to come through, which takes an average of two years. The reach your peak part is six months into the pathway. So if people can't enroll just to come on the pathway, there's a, there's a series of events that happen lead up to the pathway, up to the reach your peak event. And the reason why that is, is because people would not understand what went on within the room because it's a hundred hours event. There's nine speakers. It's on from Monday to Saturday. But the whole concept of going back to the beginning of the partnership when people engage, we have to build up the rapport, trust and respect. 
We have to go through some profiling. We have to then do bespoke coaching, which is an average of anything between 50 to 100 hours leading up to the Reach Your Peak event. And that covers everything from neurology, understanding business, understanding yourself, mapping out the roadmap for your business, mapping out the roadmap for yourself, and then understanding and develop people in neurology. Then when they arrive at this event of the opportunity, three months prior to them doing that, they end up with about three coaches in their life because they have to be developed because there's an endurance part of that event. So there's nine speakers that gives them the tools. And there's a variety of world-class speakers who come on that event. And they pass information over 57 hours, over three days, that then prepares them to take the theory into practical where they're awake for 38 hours and they have to climb six hills in Scotland in 26 hours, but they're awake for 38 to 40 hours. So it's a real intense, if you can imagine this, who they are and who they were when they first arrived to ask and inquire about the Stevie Kid pathway, go in the timeline and take them up to the day that they graduate and reach a peak. Because what we do is we go around and I take each person for a walk around the manor of the Marhall grounds. And all I say to them is, can you remember who you were? And the first thing they do is they bust out laugh. They bust out laughing. And I say, I'm taking this very seriously. But what they do is they have a laugh, they have a cry, and then they get a wee bit annoyed. And I say to them, look, you need to give yourself a pat on the back. You're on the road to reaching your potential and mapping out what your legacy is going to be. And they say, but how much time have I lost? Because I just existed for all that time. But I say, close the curtains in that. What's important is what you're going to do from now on. So it's a journey. It is a hundred hours event. It is over six days. But there's a hundred hours, 50 to a hundred hours beforehand that they do before they even reach that destination. So when you mention the, the three steps, Steve, I've so do what you're supposed to do. That's number one. Number two, helping now learning to help develop yourself. Just remind me about what the third step is. The potential. It's having the awareness of taking people to see what they can't see. So you're changing the lens that they choose to look through. Because everybody has a program. Everybody is conditioned by society, right from... When you start crawling, when you start walking, your parents are embedding guards and creating barriers around about you. It's as if there's perimeters of where you can go and where you can't go. When you start going through nursery, primary school and high school, the beliefs, the building blocks just get bigger and bigger and bigger. What we're doing is pulling down, because just like my own story, I could use my own life as an example. It's in the book. My own example is this. I was told that what I was going to be doing for the next 50 years of my life when I left school, it was either a coach building company or a factory because that's where you belong. I just chose to go a different path. So destroying people's stories, which is what we talked about earlier, and giving them a feel by taking them into the future to what they could potentially see, hear, and feel. Once they actually engage their senses and their nervous system to potentially what the destination could be, they then come back and they get excited because what they say is, what's the first step? 
And it's about mapping out these steps across all the areas of the life and their business. But what we do is we plant the end in mind and work back, and then we go. And that's why they become motivated, because of the future that we've mapped out for them is one that they can't potentially see. And they could, through their whole lifetime, never seen it. You keep mentioning trust. I mean, the biggest, the most important thing of all is when you get people who they don't even trust themselves, Steve. How on earth do you build trust? How do you help them build trust in themselves, one? And two, how do you or how do we build trust with them? It's a, it's a great question, right? And I will give somebody permission. I think in terms of rapport, trust and respect, there's another skill as a coach. And it's one of my favourite skills. Listen. And when you listen to the person who's coming, you have to pay attention and realise how much courage it's taken that person to even chap the door and come in. And once they come in and you just listen, what you have to listen to is a model of their world. Now, sometimes I'll interrupt the pattern by putting my hand up maybe after 20, 25 minutes. And there's certain pictures in my room that I'll ask people, can you look up at that picture a minute? Sorry to interrupt you. And they'll look at me and they'll say, yep, we're going to look at that picture for 20 seconds, okay? And then we're going to turn around and we're then going to go and talk about what we've just seen. How's that sound? And they go, okay, you must have a reason why we're doing this. I'll play along. So you create a wee bit of humour. And then they go and I turn around and I say, do you want to go first or will I? And they go, you go. So I then start talking for about two minutes and I see their face changing. And then I stop and I say, your turn. They say, forget it. And I say, why are you no playing? I've noticed, I didn't even see anywhere near as much as what you just seen. And then what I say to them is, the exercise is, we all see the world completely different. And once that frame is installed, the, the rapport becomes very airtight because this gentleman that I'm particularly talking about this story, when he came in, his phone was sitting. And you know how when somebody's screensaver goes on and you can see a photo? I seen the photo and I could see that it was his grandchildren. So where I've just proven the concept of we see the world differently, I go over and I touch his knee and I say, trust me, I will see more than you can even, you could go through your whole lifetime and not see what I'll be able to see. And I will put in suggestions that will lead you to the life you want. So in other words, let me look that in. Remember the guy that was the story guy going to the last orders who's not worked in eight years if his grandchildren are mirroring that behaviour? That's the way their behaviour is going to be. But if I get people to coach them to reach their full potential, just the way Ryan is with me, Ryan's mirrored me, that's why he's 23-year-old and a managing partner and highly successful in what he does, because I'm conscious that he's mirroring me in every aspect of what I do in my life. So I have to be the example. When it comes to dealing with, so these people that come in, that you are helping see more than what they've already got, some of them will be in an unresourceful state. When it comes to that, what tips can you share with us to help someone that is currently struggling to go from unresourceful to resourceful? I always go with the first thing that comes into my mind, right? I'm 52, 
So probably I've got evidence of doing this since I was seven. So what's that? That's 40, 45 years I've been studying human beings. And you asked a specific question, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a specific answer that I've been doing for 45 years, even for a very young person. And you tell me whether you agree with me here, right? Because it's a simple process and it's where you have to start. I watch all walks of life, business, sporting world. People are just walking through the streets when people tell you their stories. What do they focus on? Now think about this. I was in David Lloyd and I'm in a Sunday. It's 11.31 and there's a father looking across and he's getting his three kids changed to go in the pool. And I hear him, I wouldn't say speaking to him. I heard him frustrated. I heard him ranting. I heard them telling the children not what to do that they did last week. And I looked over at him, they looked over him, and he's shaking his head, and I laughed. He said, what? What I would do just to have one more hour? I said, I used to come in here with Ryan for years. I said, but I can't find him about the pool anymore. He's 23. I says, but I used to come in and swim him every Sunday. I can't relate to what you're saying there to your children because we just created that as a magic moment. It was a father and son moment. But I say, this is a real question for you, which is going to answer your question. Even though all my life has been about capturing magic and having magic moments, I'm going to ask him a question. And the question I asked him was, your kids are away in the pool now with the armbands on. I get that you've got to guide them on what they can do and what they can't do. I get that. But can you tell me how many things that you asked, you pointed out to them that they excelled on last week? I never heard any of that. And if you're going to continue to go through your life by passing that type of information on to your children, are they going to reach their potential? I says, now don't shoot the messenger, because we've never met. <laughs> and he just went into this kind of daze, and I walked away from him and said, have a great day. And I walked away. When I work with people, people are obsessed with telling me what they're not good at or what's going wrong. I shut that whole system down. And I, with rapport, humour, trust, respect, I say, can we just part that now? I'm getting a drift of what you're telling me. Now can we get to work? Because I really want to hear all your successes and your happiness and your magic moments in your life. And I want to shrink all that. And I want to bring this all alive. Because when we get this state, and we start building building blocks of all these experiences, then we're going to get to work in that state with all that neurology factors in your, in your soul. It's, it's changing stories of where you're focusing, because when you get people into that state, then they're in a state chemically that they believe in terms of where they, they, the roadmaps that they map out, they believe firmly that they can go in the destinations no problem, because they're in that neurological state of, Success, winning, positive, happiness, magic moments. It's how society and media is conditioning us. Shut that program down. Now, when you speak about magic moments, Stevie, you, you, you've actually authored a book called The 1% Mindset, The Stevie Kid Pathway. In it, you ask, do you know who you are? Mm. Why is there an important question for each of us to answer? I went through the same process that I've been going through for 35 years with that question 
I have asked that question to government ministers who have came to see me. I've, uh, the core of that question is so powerful when you do it this way. I remember somebody from the cabinet in Westminster came to see me and they were blown away by the success rate we were having with taking people from where they were to positive destinations. So much so that they were confused in how we did it. And I said to him, we do it through asking them who they are. And I just said to him, can I ask you a question? And he went, yeah. If I was to take away all your academic ability from your mind, and I was to take every aspect of politics and career away from you, and you were to go up and stand at that wall and tell me who you are, could you tell me? Now he sat back and he said to me, wow, take the two things away from me. Can I tell you who I am? I says, and I remember also when David Cameron took power, I used to do presentations and um, in public places in terms of helping the local authority who had lost their job and they had to rebuild their lives because they paid a lot of people off. And I remember doing this exercise in a town hall, 500 people in the room, and I says, okay. Now, they were a bit aggressive towards me. They weren't in a good state, so I had to change their state. I get them into a good state, and I says, right, before we get started, there's a, if everybody looks under their chair, there's an envelope there. And whoever's going to yell a sticker is coming down here to tell me and stand beside me and tell the world who they are. If you had heard the roar in the room, and then I let it go for a couple of minutes, and then I stood up in a chair and said, that's right, there's no sticker under anybody's chair. But what were you thinking when you thought you had to come up here and ask that, answer that question? So ripping CVs up, burning CVs, taking their academic ability off them, taking their career, fundamentally stripping them, then discovering who you are. When you can do a pitch in that for two minutes, we're taking the two areas of your life away, then you'll know who you are. And no matter whether you lose your job, you lose your business, no matter whether things like COVID happen, you will survive. Because it's what I've spent my whole life asking myself, why do you think I did marathons? because I also knew when the life that I had no longer existed and I had to rebuild and rise again. And that's what the 1% is about. It's not about having the 1%. It's about discovering who you are and me giving evidence of when I fell down and had to get back up again. But I could only do that because I knew who I am. I've actually read your book, Stevie. It's quite riveting. The stories within are for anyone. Anyone can achieve greatness. Would you agree with that? When you wake up in the morning and you can say to yourself that you feel good for no reason at all, you'll find greatness. So we'll, we'll stick on the topic of your book while we're there. In chapter six of the book, it says, purpose is about what you're supposed to be doing, not how you are conditioned to be told what you should be doing. What do you mean? That one, I would say, is around about, okay, for me, it's more right-sided brain than left-sided brain. If I was more left-sided brain, more analytical, more listening to what had been put in, I would have stuck to what I've been told to do. And then I tap into how I feel, and I tap into the frequency, the vibrations, the energy of my whole body when I see myself doing that. But then when I allow myself to become the person who can visualise and see and give myself permission 
to see myself doing what I was, what, what I'm born to do. That's that's a frequency when people ask you what you're doing. Do you find it hard to describe? Because it's on the mold of my life has to have meaning. It has to count. It's on actually a heightened force. It's a heightened energy field that you're now, it's all about serving, giving and growing. It's all about even when you're gone, what your life has meant and the purpose it's led has now been spoken about for years on and it's still having an impact on people once you're gone. This goes back to what I get frustrated about. And frustrated means something has to change. We have just looked through COVID and people didn't know who they were. People had no coping strategies. Now, why is it that we don't want to put the infrastructure in at a very young age? From that, I'm delighted. I was with my granddaughter at the weekend and she's three and she's shown me how she's getting meditation and how she does yoga in her nursery. And I'm like, fantastic. You've just made my weekend. Because how we grow as human beings, imagine how great the world would be if we all had a mindset where we understood how the engine works, which is the mind and understanding, being supported to discover who we are, what we're supposed to be doing with our life, rather than being told all our life what we do, we do right and what we do wrong. It's just the fact is that we are conditioned to focus on more of what we do wrong than what we are doing well. In all aspects of life, that's not just education. That's in all aspects of life, that's the concept of what is happening. So Stevie, What's your greatest curiosity about what it is you do? Do you know, I used to get confused. This is a true story. Because even people would come into the office and it goes back, it's a common theme, 2007. And it probably relates to my work with, with Dr. Richard Banner because it wouldn't matter who I was working with. Change happens, right? There's, there's no getting away from it. When I look across my life, three, four decades, no matter who I'm working with, how often I spend with this individual, with what I say, whatever the interaction is, there is change. Whatever energy I'm passing on, there is change. And the curiosity is, for my whole life, there's a two-prong attack to this. All my clients in the past and the present will say, Stevie, my family, my friends, even strangers come up to me and say, what are you doing? And I tell them, I work with Stevie Kidd and I'm on the Stevie Kidd pathway. And they say, I know, but what does he do? And they go, I have no clue. I just trust the process. And then people will come to me and say, what is it you do? And in a sense, I've got an idea. But do I fully know what I do? No, I know that I've spent my life studying business, life, emotions, neurology. I've been trained by some of the top psychologists in the world and I've taken it on board. Here's something for you. I'm curious and obsessed and relentless. I watch people going on all these events and courses, right? What if I told you for 30 years, every single day I have to watch two TEDx talks? 
my manuals that I've been on, the courses that I've been on, I'm obsessed. They're over there on that shelf. Every day, I'm opening them up, and I'm just repeat, 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 repeat. And what I become obsessed with is how I filter it in process. As I'm curious because I'm sitting saying, why has that got a different meaning today than it had a year ago or five years ago? But then I realise I'm not in the same place. I've moved forward. I've grown. But my obsession with, do I really know what I'm doing with people or businesses? I couldn't fundamentally answer that question just like a client can't answer and explain the process. They just have to trust the process and I just have to trust myself that what I'm doing is working. And as long as you get evidence to back that up, I will say something that will go to the grave with me. And when you talk about curiosity, it's the curiosity of why people become fixated in what they know and what they believe. And every time I'm with somebody, I'm saying to them, you're in destination, you're only going to get there with what you know. And even when people are overcoming challenges or failures, one manager was dismissed from a club. And the more I started working with footballers or boxers, I realised, especially in the football world, managers seem to have this belief that six or eight games, if you lose them, they automatically think they're sacked. And I realised that that was a story they used to tell themselves. But then when I was working with one particular manager and I'm asking him, why is it you can only see this top Scottish club as your ultimate legacy and goal? What do you have to do to step aside and look around the corner and see that there could be a, a much larger opportunity for you? What is it that stops you and becomes curious within your mind that won't give you the permission? Is it because there's so much analytical talk and chatter going on on the left side of the brain that's not letting you see, giving you the permission to see that opportunity of managing Real Madrid? But if you come to me, I'll, do, I'll give you the toolkit and I'll delete everything that you're looking at to make sure that you can go into the future and feel that opportunity. Because once your nervous system connects to such a mammoth opportunity over a realistic 60-month timeline, we'll go and visit and feel the future. And then we'll come back and then we'll map out how we're going to do it through giving you the toolkit along the way. I'm curious about that because that is greatness. If the person could walk the walk. So, Stevie, you've, you've mentioned a little bit earlier so you're 52, you've got all of these things that you're planning on doing in terms of the endurance events, etc., which leads really to this question. Can age be a factor for people not setting a goal or a target? I want you to remember what I'm going to say to you, right? I want you to remember this for the rest of your life because it's vitally important. The magic of life, when you become the observer of somebody else's life, who's truly magical, but you never meet them. You, you reflect the way they've shown you how to be a fantastic human being. But then you've got other people who you have the honour of having them in your space and in your world. And you really know how special these people are. Because even when they're gone and you go to talk about them, they put you into this state. Because then that's when you realise how special they were. And when it comes to this person in particular, who was somebody who was a, a dear friend who lived till he was 89, I never met him till he was 73. And the first thing he said to me was, as long as you don't talk to me about time or age, me and you'll go on just fine. 
And I never treat any concept of time or age in my life, and I don't let it in. That's why I get confused earlier about what year it was. I think the whole concept of my life in terms of what I pass on to others, having people like Laurie Robertson in my life, who was an entrepreneur, it showed me how to carry myself. And even at 85, he was sloping down the ski slopes of Colorado in grade five, the 85-year-old. Even to him taking phone calls in business at 89, two weeks before he died, folding his hands and clasping at his chest and saying, I have no regrets, Stevie, other than maybe I should have took Jean on a few more cruises. I took her on a cruise because he never did that. So modeling people at Sir Alex Ferguson, who I'll never meet, or paying attention to somebody like Laurie Robertson, they are the pinnacles of showing an example that age has no meaning to setting yourself a lifetime of goals. I want you to remember what I said there, right? Because you know that answers your question. Have a look out for these special human beings. You can sense the emotion in your response. You know when you know, and you know when they know. That's basically something that was mentioned to me many years ago, having had someone in my life who helped shape who I've become. I like the response earlier where sometimes you, you don't know exactly, can't define specifically what it is you do, you just know. Something special is taking place. Now, final question. What does Stevie Kidd want to be remembered for? What would you like to have on your gravestone when you eventually pass? What do you want people to say about you? Here lies a guy who changed lives because he can. Stevie, uh, on behalf of my dad and I, we would both like to thank you for coming on today. You sprinkled the gold dust for sure. And there's a lot of, which you just mentioned in your last answer, a lot of wisdom in there. Appreciate it. And last little thing before you do, if anyone listening does want to reach out to you, how can you be contacted? Do you know, that's a, it's an easy question, but it's an uncomfortable one because I don't like pitching. I don't like selling. I prefer people to come to me where they hear, if they hear something that I've said, then are they here? Are they meet somebody that they've seen a work with? They hunt the cheese, but it is as simple as there's a website, and the website's just steviekid.com. And in there, it gives you the roadmap to the direction of how to get in contact and gives you an overview of what we do. But I think, in answer to that question, I think paths cross. It sounds bizarre. Keith asked me what, what I'm curious about. It's an uncomfortable question because the life that I lead, I believe, like somebody listening to this podcast, our energies and frequencies will match, that they will hunt the cheese because we all come into each other's worlds for a reason at a particular time. And it's whether you're paying attention to the message that you're going to receive. And it's when you pay attention to that message, you're guided but it's about whether you mirror the frequency of the universe or whether you mirror the frequency. That's why right at the start of this podcast, what did we talk about? 
rapport, trust, honesty, respect. But actually what we're doing is we're bringing the vibration of two souls or human beings down to mirror the vibration so that we can get a connection. And that's what I do with clients. So just like people who have been taken through a set of emotions or resonance in terms of listening to the questions and the answers, there's a saying that Richard Bandler says, and I love it, where you are is where you're meant to be. And that's what I believe. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.